0: Hey, 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 Paula. You older folks know that one, right? Hey, we have people um, standing back there, and they're all the way from Thomasville, I think, some of them back there. Can somebody make some room? There's some room over there. So, and yeah, guys, come over here. There's some seats over there. And even though they blocked off this for people being baptized, you can do it this front row right here. We're good. We can make room, we can always make room. Absolutely. In fact, I know that there's uh, some owners here that would uh, give up their seat for a new guest as well. Um, So please be looking for that. So, hey, very, very cool. Did you guys like Pastor Eric's like 45-second sermon? That was very good, huh? I am not going to let you off nearly as easy. So, uh, in fact, as you guys know, I love Baptism Sunday. Uh, I call it the best day ever. I just, I believe that that baptism strikes fear in the heart of hell. I just, uh, it, it is breaking down of a spiritual stronghold that the enemy believes that they have. And individuals stand up and say, you do not have power over me. You do not have power over the church, and the gates of hell will not stand against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, you know, that's so awesome and, and, and exciting. And some dear friends and, and loved ones are getting baptized today, and I'm so excited about it. And and to the confusion of, of some of the people that I'm serving with today, I decided I wanted to talk about my favorite Bible story. And the only real connection. Is that it's my favorite Bible story, and it's my favorite day. So I just thought, I just push forward and just make it like the best, best day ever. And uh, but there is a connection in, in in my mind. This is a story of people uh, not. Uh, content with the status quo and want God to have glory and and that's really the story of baptism and this story is found in in really first Samuel chapter thirteen and fourteen and I am going to blow through this, so just put on your seat because I don't want to spend a lot of time because I want it, we want to have the most time uh, with the people being baptized today but but in this story it is Absolutely, like, incredible what's going on. The, the people of Israel had been conquered by their enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines are being really oppressive, and they had taken all of their weapons away except two swords. King Saul had a ceremonial sword, and his son Jonathan had a sword. Everybody else, all their swords, all their weaponry was taken away, and the Philistines were treating them as slaves and peasants and really oppressing them and mocking the name of God. And through the leadership of Samuel and spiritual leadership and inspiring Saul, uh, uh, uprising happened. And all these peasants with their pitchforks, little their pitchforks and their farming equipment, and the, and their and their and the two swords, and all of the uh, of, of Israel coming up against the massive Philistine army. And it started out good, and it, it scared the Philistine army. And Saul picked three thousand of his strongest men and his most fierce men. And What goes on is is Saul and and his lack of visionary leadership and and some of his own fear, he starts to see his army lose morale, so much so that 2,400 of them, 2,400 of them deserted and went over to the other side because they thought, we will be killed if we stay with this man Saul. So the picture now is you have Saul and 600 people left against the whole Philistine army. Worse yet, a lot of the Israelites had fled into the hills to to hide during this time because they just didn't want to be killed because they were Israelites. So the nation of Israel is scattered. Things are looking bleak. In fact, when you pick up in chapter 14, you have this picture of King Saul with his 600 men sitting under a pomegranate tree. And one day in verse 3, or verse 1 in chapter 14, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to the wh- where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not let his father know what he was doing. And then it says that, meanwhile, the 600 are sitting under the pomegranate tree. So essentially, like in my mind, in your pastor's mind, what's going on here is Jonathan's sitting there with his armor bearer with half of the weapons of Israel. One sword. And, you know, he's drinking pomegranate juice. He's eating Pomegranate berries he 's eating pomegranate hash he 's had pomegranate eggs, and he's like enough with the pomegranates. I'd rather die and do something than eat another pomegranate so he 's like armor bear let 's go let 's go check this out let's 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 go and look at the outpost. harmless enough, right, do a little scouting mission, kind of look over there, a little spy, you know. 007. Dun dun dun. Doo, 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 doo. So, all right, so pretty cool. So, in verse something or other, three, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp to reach the Philistine outpost. Jonathan had gone in between some cliffs and things like that. And then he says in verse 6, let's go across. Now we're not just scoping things out. He says to his armor bearer, let's go across to the outpost to those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. And then he says this next awesome line that strikes fear into people who, uh, who aren't like Jonathan's personality. He says this, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And you can imagine the armor bearer going like, whoa, time out here, Jonathan. We just went from doing a little 007 thing and not wanting any more pomegranate juice to looking over at the. And now you're saying, let's go over there? Let's attack and, 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 you know, you have a sword. Guess what I have? You know, a hoe or a rake. I don't have a sword. I don't have any weaponry. I don't have anything. And you and me are going to attack this army that is mocking God. And this is what the, but this is what the armor bearer actually says. He says this in verse 7. Do what you think is best. I am with you completely whatever you decide. And then Jonathan told him, all right then. And then he gives them the plan. Listen to this plan. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. Okay, good plan so far. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Are you sure? Because I understand that you have half of Israel's weapons, one sword, and I have my rake, which is terrifying. But you want to go and actually see them. We're not even doing the 007 thing anymore anymore. We're not going to be covert. We're going to be overt. And if they say come up so we can kill you, we'll go up. All right. This is a terrible plan, but okay. So verse 11, when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, listen what they said, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Now. If I was the armor bearer, I'd say, "Woo, we're off the hook, because Jonathan said, just in verse 10, if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. And they clearly didn't say come up and fight. They just say, come up so we can kill you. But then Jonathan turns to him and says, come on right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat him. Now, I'm not a real detailed oriented person. I'm a lot more like Jonathan. I'm like, let's go! But this This plan seems a little flaky even to me, all right? But he he is at a place where the status quo is so unacceptable and the mocking of God is so unacceptable that he'd rather die than go any farther in the status quo. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered um, over about a half an acre. So the imagery is they don't even have strategic positioning. They're going up a hill, and somehow with their one sword, you know, fighting, and then the the armor bearer protecting the back. Suddenly, panic broke out between the whole Philistine army, both in the camp and the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. So God intervened that, that Jonathan said, You know what? We gotta try something, and perhaps God's going to be in this. And But whatever happens, either we will succeed because God is with us, or we will fail because we were impatient, but we are going to act. In verse 16, Saul's lookouts looked at all this strange sight, and the vast enemies of uh, the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. And then Saul says, call a roll and see who is missing. And when they checked, they found out that Jonathan, his armor bearer, was gone. Then Saul shouted out to Ahijah, bring the ephod here. Now, the ephod was the priestly robes. And whoever was wearing this kind of priestly vest and and it has these stones on it everything was was the reigning priest, kind of the the spiritual uh, leader who led the prayers and the and the sacrifices and everything. And this is what uh, Saul has been doing all along is just petitioning and looking for God to give him a clear sign. And they came, but while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion of the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. And then Saul said something that's very unique in all of scripture. He says, never mind, never mind praying and doing the sacrifices and all this, and this is the only actually time in Scripture that this is actually what God wanted, like, hey, I've answered your prayer, get going. Let's get going. So then Saul and all his men rushed out of the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere, the fog of war. And then check out these new these next two uh, verses. Even the Hebrews that had previously gone over to the Philistine army, the 2,400 deserters revolted and joined with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Verse 22, likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines were running away. So the Lord saved Israel that. And to me, every time I read this story and I think about this story, I learn something new and it enlightens me. And I got to be honest with you, the first time I, I read this, it was, for me, it was all about Jonathan because Jonathan resonated with me. That, that's kind of my personality. That it's like, you know what, I just can't even fathom staying where we are. That, that is one thing that I love baptism so much that, you know what, they're, they're, God is not done. God does not want us cowering. God does not want us to circle the wagons. That that until Jesus Christ comes and takes us home, we are here to proclaim the gospel. But as I've matured and, and, and spent a lot of time with this scripture, I've discovered that there's actually six different types of people or personalities in this. And five of them are absolutely necessary for the body of Christ to function in a healthy, biblical way. Like it or not, the church needs its Jonathans. Doesn't need a lot of them. <laughs> but, but, but the church needs its Jonathans, the, the, the impatient, wanting, you know, wanting to go and take the next hill for the glory of God. The church also desperately, oh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, going back, that, that's your spiritual entrepreneur, that that the status quo is unacceptable and wants to risk it all in order to glorify God. That's just kind of our personality. Um, then the uh, next character in this is the armor bear, and In my mind, this is the first follower. Now, I've talked about the first follower here before, and I've shown a little video. Do you guys know what I mean by first follower? Is there anybody here who's kind of like a little bit fuzzy on the first follower? Because it needs context. Yeah? We got a few people. Okay. That's cool. Uh, I'm just going to show a real, just a small clip of the clip, about a minute and a half, just to give you context, because it's important. And it's actually... Uh, When you watch the video, it's almost exactly what happens in the story, too, but in a little different context. So, go for it.
1: If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, That's it's almost Jonathan. instructional. This is key, you must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them.
0: Plural. The armor Notice
1: how he's calling to his friends to join in. So it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here comes Saul. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate them. Here comes the 600. The now here come two more people then three more immediately. Now we've got Now momentum. we got the 2400 this the and the people point, coming and out now of the hills. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. And over the next so, what we see is is Jonathan. Yeah, isn't that a cool
0: video? Um, and and I bet you never thought that that's the battle in First Samuel 14, like played out in a minute and a half. So so you have the. The leader, Jonathan, the dancing nut, the lone, the known lone nut going, but every bit as important as the first follower. But also every bit as first uh, important as the first follower is the 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 guardian who is who is Saul, and this is not me. So sometimes it's a little hard for me to think about this conceptualized, but but. Saul it really is this guardian person whose priority uh in our context would be protecting the body of Christ, its history, its dark doctrine, its its programs, its theology, its systems, its legacy. And this is absolutely essential. These these, you know, this is where discipleship happens, that this is this is where you know marriages are are healed and, and children are taught about Jesus and and people are served, and, and 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 you know systems are put in place, and growth groups are happening. And really, to to have a healthy, biblically functioning church is a, is a combination of your Jonathan's and your first followers, the the armor bearers, and and those who are you know they may not have a crazy you know just want to go out there, but but understand that we need that, and, but. To protect what we do have as well, and bring it into balance, and then maybe you're, you know, maybe that's you, and maybe the next thing you have your six hundred men who are the standing army, and these are people who who are loyal to a church and and uh, and to the established spiritual authority, and they're willing to follow the leadership, but they're desperate for inspirational leadership. They're desperate to see the body of Christ uh, in an active and, and uh, kinetic movement forward and, and and reaching people for Christ. And then the next one is what I don't think any church needs, and that's the deserters. And the way I look at it, these are the opportunists, and they're only in it for, for themselves. And... Um, they 're not loyal to any local church they'll they 'll jump from place to place as as it suits their needs now, let me be clear, there are reasons to leave a church if there's unrepentant heresy in a church uh, then absolutely that that's that that is not a church that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in, and it will die. God will take care of that so absolutely but but uh probably the only time that I think that Christ is really glorified is is not when you leave a church but you go somewhere that God has called you so you can have the highest impact for the kingdom. And there's a difference in just saying like, you know what? Pastor Mark's sermon really stunk or or in a discipleship conversation going, "You know what? I don't really want to grow in this area. And even if my pastor or my friends or my growth group want to speak, you know, have the relational right to speak into that, I just don't want to deal with it. So I'm going to jump ship and go somewhere else. And what happens when when that happens, that's basically an opportunist, being a consumer. And honestly, I have a lot of pastor friends all throughout the nation. And and Tallahassee has an epidemic of this. Epidemic. It just... uh, I think it might be because we have a lot of churches in Tallahassee. And and I think that Tallahassee has suffered uh, uh, in discipleship because of it, because of this jump, jump, jump. There's actually a group of pastors here in Tallahassee. We're meeting and praying about this on how we can bring discipleship and accountability back to our city uh, in the Christian church. Uh, And then the last one, uh, the hill hiders, I call them, the ones who are hiding in the hills, and and really, this, I think that a lot of people are there just because they're scared. Um, they were scared thousands of years ago, and they weren't, you know, they weren't chosen by Saul. But these are faithful people, but they're frightened by what they see in culture, and I get that. I mean, I really do. I, you know, I know that there's people here who don't like it when I talk about Christian persecution as it, as it goes in, in America, and I understand why they don't like that. But, but there is a level of persecution when somebody with great integrity and honesty cannot stand up and say, uh, this is my faith that doesn't hurt anybody, that this is my faith and this is how I read the Bible and this is how I understand it with Without the fear of being hammered either on social media or, or 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 not getting a promotion or being exiled from community and that's i bl- I personally believe that's going to keep on growing uh, in our in our culture and but but there is a fear even in our in our culture where Honestly, we're, we don't face physical persecution, but we, we face a a we are faced with timidity, giving in to timidity or uh, or fear based on our beliefs and our understanding of Scripture. So, what I'd like you to do is as you kind of conceptualize this and think about it in a larger picture of of the church. And, and to be able to look and, and, and understand who you are and who God's called you in this context to be and to lean into that. You know, are you uh, a guardian? But if you are a guardian, appreciate the Jonathans. You know, are you an armor bearer and, and to support, you know, the Jonathans? Are, are you afraid and, and, and fearful to live your faith out loud? And if you are, you know what, connect with a growth group and, and have words of, of life and encouragement breathed into you so you do not have this fear anymore. And I just believe that, you know, as this all relates to baptism, that that the better we get this, the better that, that the armor bearers uh, support the, the Jonathans and the Jonathans recognize the importance of of the Saul's, the guardians, and the ar- and the armies, and and also understanding that those who are timid are not timid because they want to be timid, but they just need more encouragement as we can bind together, that we can continue to move into our city and into our world and make God's glory known, make his love known. And I believe as a result of that, we will get to hear even more wonderful baptism stories that we're going to hear right now and, uh, and proclamations that, that God is alive and he is working and we have the opportunity to be part of it. Will you guys pray with me? <laughs>